so I learned a valuable lesson this week, and that's don't make Super Bowl bets the week before you preach. <laughs> yeah. Where's Cole? Anything else? Is that it? Okay, okay. There you go. Well played. Go Hawks. Okay, so... um. This week in this story, we're going to be talking about a lot. I'm actually going to cover three different books of the Bible in about 30 minutes, which is crazy. Um, good luck, Patrick. Um, we're, we're going to be talking about when um, the Israelites were allowed to leave Babylon and go back home. I remember when I lived in Seattle, I had a really good group of um, church friends. We had a couple small groups, and um, it was about 40 of us, 20-something single people, and we hung out all the time. And I had a friend named Ryan, and um, Ryan moved away, went off to, uh, he actually served in Kuwait. He was there for three years, and then he came back, and he called me. He said, hey, Patrick, um, I'm getting married, but I want to make a, make a big announcement, so can you call everybody and get the whole gang back together? And I said, Ryan, there, there is no gang anymore. You, er, er, like people have moved away. He said, I don't get it. I've, I've only been gone for three years. And I said, yeah but you've been gone for three years. You know, when you leave and then come back, things are different. I told Grace, when I go back to Seattle, and I just moved away in 2007, I said, when I, move, when I go back to Seattle, I, I, there's things that I don't recognize about the city anymore. Grace said, I don't even recognize Toronto because it's a city that people actually want to live in now. And she's only been gone for three years. So when you leave home and then you come back, things have changed. I found this cool website, and it's got city skylines where they were in 1990, and where they are today. So we're going to do a little bit of a guessing game. Mike, go to the first one. So does anybody have a guess what city this is? This is a city in 1990. And I'll give you a hint, it's not in the U.S. Wow, Who, you saw this website, didn't you? Nice. Yeah, this is Dubai. Mike, go to the next slide. So this is what it looks like 20, 25 years later. That's how much Dubai has changed. Go to the next one. Any guesses what, the, what city this is? Shanghai, fantastic. 1990 Shanghai, Mike. Now this is 2014 Shanghai. That's 24 years, and it's changed that much. The next slide, this is a Kuala Lumpur. Go ahead and go to the next one. This is what it looks like today. This slide is my next one, and we have somebody here who used to live in this city. Go to the next slide. What city is this? Anybody? Yes. I fooled y'all. Uh, this is Shenzhen in China, and Annie used to work there. This is, if you've got an iPhone, probably made in this town. Not when it looked like this, but when it looks like this. That's in 34 years, that city has gone from mostly grass to an industrialized city with a river going through the middle. I mean, there was no river in the first slide, but now there's a river going through the second slide. Um, go to the next slide. This is Albuquerque in 1950. Did Anybody live, in, live here in 1950? Awesome. So you guys have seen the city grow by 500%. And that's just the metro area. If you're talking about the whole Albuquerque area with the suburbs, the city has grown by 1,000% since 1950. So it used to look like this. Now it looks like this. It's a beautiful picture. So as you can see, when we move away, things change. And it would be crazy to have left Shenzhen in 1980 and then come back to it today. At the beginning of the chapter that we're reading for the story this week, Persia takes over Babylon, and Persia has a very different 
mindset when it comes to um, conquering nations. Persia believes if we will respect people, if we will allow them to worship as they want to, they might not get angry at us. Wow, that's that's amazing. What a concept. So, So King Cyrus does not believe in God, does not believe in God at all, but says, I will allow worship of the God of Israel. I will allow the Israelites to worship the God of heaven. I will allow them to move back to their home and build a new temple and settle down there. So after 70 years, the Israelites, they live in Babylon. They are allowed to return home. But not all of them are going to return. About 50,000 of them say, I'm going to leave Babylon and start a new home in my old home. See, uh, people follow what Jeremiah said, and they establish homes in Babylon because that's what God told them to do. So you've got 50,000 people at the beginning of this chapter this week, and they are returning to a place where they have not lived for 70 years. Now, this is not like returning back to Shenzhen. This is not like returning back to Albuquerque and seeing all the growth. This would, this would be like leaving Big Spring, Texas, and coming back to that 70 years later. Has anyone here been to Big Spring? Yes. My dad is from Big Spring, so I've been to Big Spring far too many times. Um, now, Albuquerque has grown, by d- depending on where you want to measure it, either 500 or 1,000% since 1950. Big Spring has actually declined by 10% in the amount. So here's a picture of Big Spring in 1960. You've got a new hotel there. You've got some new buildings there. Go ahead, go to the next slide. This is um, a 1960 Christmas Day parade. You've got Santa right there. A bunch of people that the city looks nice. Now imagine you go back today. Here's downtown Big Spring. Do it. Yeah, that, you can't buy any bail bonds because the whole roof has fallen in. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not, I'm sorry. My dad, I'm, he's going to listen to this sermon. Sorry, so, sorry, dad. Um, <laughs> sorry, grandma. Yeah, they're all from there. I'll go to the next slide. Here how much, this is how much the skyline has changed. It hasn't. <laughs> so this is not this big, glorious, exciting homecoming. This is returning to Big Spring. Because see, what happened, what caused the Israelites to leave is God said, you guys are not representing me well. You guys are worshiping evil gods just like everyone else. So I want to start over. And so God allowed an army to completely destroy Jerusalem. The huge, amazing temple with 21 tons of gold, destroyed. So they're moving back, not to Shanghai. They're moving back to a place like Big Spring, but even worse. That's where we're going to start out today. We're going to look at Ezra chapter 3. The first thing that they're told to do here is to rebuild the temple. So they're back, and seven months later, they're going to start. Here's what it says. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the people around them, remember that, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. So they move back, and seven months later, they start with the altar. So think about what it used to be. It used to be 21 tons of gold, and now they've got a single altar right over here. So a few months later, 
they're going to build the foundation for the temple. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with the trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. What did they say, church? Oh, Mark, I heard your voice. Okay. Thank, thank you, church. That's what they said. This is the second time they've done that. And all the people gave the great shout, not like us, of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was, was laid. So they've got the altar and the foundation. But here's the crazy part. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard from far away. Shanghai went from grass to glass skyscrapers, and this is Big Spring. Sixty years ago, nice downtown, brand new. Now the roofs are caving in. The, the, the sad thing is that the older Israelites who saw what the city used to look like, their feeling is like my dad probably thinks about Big Spring. The best days are behind us. It's never going to be as good as it was back then. Think about how the first temple was built. Solomon built it as the richest person in the world, leading the richest country in the world. He had 21 tons of gold. Now, King Cyrus, he's doing a cool thing, but it's not the most encouraging thing. He's donating to build the temple. He's saying, Israelites, you can tax the people in the countryside to build the temple. So they go from the richest country to a country taking donations. Solomon sacrificed over 100,000 animals when he opened up the temple. This doesn't say they sacrificed any apart from the daily sacrifices. 400 years ago, the first temple, God showed up tangibly. He showed up in a big cloud of smoke that was so thick everyone had to leave. Now, somebody else shows up, and it's not God. It's enemies. The Bible says that the people who had moved into the Jerusalem area while the Israelites were gone, they weren't too happy about the Israelites moving back. They weren't too happy about rebuilding the temple. So what they did is they started to intimidate the Israelites. They started to encourage them. They even started to bribe city officials to prevent Israel from building a new temple. And also, they were successful for a while in confusing the kings and preventing legally the temple from being rebuilt. So when they first moved back, the Israelites were really excited. But then after a little while, the temple just sits there for 16 years. Think about the difference. David, he spent his last few years obsessing over the temple, designing every single aspect. And now the Israelites, they got started on the altar, the foundation, and then they quit. So what happened? What really happened was this. There were enemies around. They were discouraging. But there was one other big thing that the Israelites had to do. They had to rebuild their life. Because they were living over in Babylon for 70 years, and then they come back to nothing but, but rubble. There's, there's no temple. Their houses are probably either destroyed or taken over by people who have moved there. And so they have a huge ta task of establishing a new life. They have to build a new house. They have to start new businesses. They have to grow new farms. They have to get their cattle fat again. They have a whole lot to do. So what really happened? It's real life. It's the same stuff that all of us here have to deal with. Real life 
got in the way between Israel and God. It's because real life, it has a, an ability to change our priorities. Out in the foyer, when, we, when our youth group, when we got back from Winterfest, I talked with him and I said, guys, right now you are all high. And Clint looked at me with the funniest look. And I said, I said no, Clint, we were not doing that in the van. When, no. But I said, guys, we had a great trip. We bonded. We grew, in, we grew closer to God. We, we understand our spiritual lives more. And right now, you are fe- feeling a spiritual high. You are excited about God. But tomorrow's Monday, and you're going to go back to school. And God's not going to be as exciting as he is tonight. You're not going to be as passionate tomorrow because real life can change our priorities. Check out this quote. I love this. Well, I don't love this, but it's funny. It says, This is Roy Kroc, the guy who started McDonald's. I believe in God, family, and McDonald's. And in the office, that order is reversed. Next slide. He continues the quote. If you are running a 100-yard dash, you aren't thinking about God while you're running. Not if you hope to win. Your mind is on the race. My race is McDonald's. He is not saying he doesn't believe in God. He believes in God. He went to church. But he's saying, as soon as Monday comes, McDonald's is my number one priority over my family. Because real life changes priorities. For the Israelites, what ended up happening was with the enemies, with rebuilding their houses, taking care of number one became number one. Everything related to God besides the daily sacrifices, that was like number six, number 17. The temple in God was no longer their priority. So at this time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah show up. And if you haven't read the story yet, in the introduction to this section, it says that God sent the prophets to encourage the Israelites. And this kind of encouragement is the kind of encouragement my wife gives me when I'm watching ESPN instead of cooking dinner. It's the kind of encouragement you give your, your, your children when they're playing Xbox instead of doing their homework. So God's going to speak through the prophets and here's what he says, Haggai ver- chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, the Israelites, they're saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. It's been 16 years. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves, Israelites, to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, remains a ruin? Their own luxuries are being focused on. Those are the priorities. It's not the temple anymore. And so God just calls them out. He says, hey, you're adding stuff to your house. You're building luxuries to your house. All the while, my temple is a foundation and an altar. C.S. Lewis says, put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first, and we lose both. Israel is going to send the prophets to say, guys, if you will just put me first, You'll get your paneled houses. You'll get your businesses. You'll get your farms. You'll get your fat cows, which will give you fat kids, and they'll be healthy. Just follow me first, and everything will be going okay. And we know that this is true for us. If we seek first the kingdom, we're going to get everything that we need. If we prioritize our relationship with God, our lives will be better than if we're, if we're doing, if we're going, if we're trying to get things. Whether it's good or bad, if we prioritize God, we're going to get the better things. But here's the cool part, and this is how this story is different from everything else in the Bible so far. The Israelites get it. 
They go, wow, you're right. The temple, it's been the same for 16 years. Oh, yeah, I should probably do something about that. So God raises up a leader named Zerubbabel because God loves people with funny names. And so that means he doesn't love Patrick. I don't know. But then God gives them a simple, simple message as they start to rebuild the temple. He says, I am with you. And so it's at this point when they're starting to rebuild the temple that my favorite part of this whole chapter starts. But it took me 15 minutes to give you guys a context. So here's the great part of the story. As they were building the temple, a guy comes up to talk to Zechariah. And he's going to ask them, hey, so we're building the temple. Do we have to practice all of the rituals that we've been doing? He wants to know what we have to practice, what we don't have to practice now that we're starting to rebuild the temple. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 2. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regamelech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? I don't think that's the answer they wanted. No. They were wanting a yes, continue to feast. No, don't mourn anymore. But God's saying, I know your heart. I know why you're doing all these things. And it's not for me. God says these fasts, these feasts, the morning, you might say they're for me, but when I see your heart, I know that they're not. And that's the thing that we can learn this week, is that God is not after our fasting. God's also, he's not after our wallets. I'll get back to that in a minute, but God's really not. He's not even after the things that we do for our church. If you're a Sunday school teacher, God is not after you to be a Sunday school teacher. He's after our hearts. He wants to be number one in our lives. And then all of the other things happen after that because God knew if he would become number one, they would fast and feast for him. And God knows if we put him number one in our lives, all of a sudden, we're happy to give. We're happy to teach Sunday school. We're happy to reach out to the people in our offices. When we serve, it becomes less of a ritual, less of a chore, and something that we're happy to do when we are following God and when he's number one. So th- I'm going to continue on there. He's, the guy says, if a country, or he says, do we still have to fast? Do we still have to do all the things we've been accustomed to doing? And so God's going to say, you, you aren't doing it for me, so instead I want you to do this. This is ex- directly what ha- follows after that. He says, and the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. So here's what God wants. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Hmm. When a kingdom, when a people group, when a, when a country, when a church family gives their heart to God, this is what happens. They administer justice, they show mercy and compassion, they don't oppress, and they don't make evil plans. Loving God doesn't start with rituals. It also doesn't start with duties. Loving God doesn't start with doing something for God. For us, 
it doesn't start with giving our money. It doesn't start with our time. It starts with our hearts, and that will change the way we treat other people. This is repeated time after time in the Bible. I'm just going to blitz through a couple of verses here, but this exact thing that God is saying, I want you to do. If you follow me, do this. It's repeated in the Old and the New Testament. It's repeated by Jesus and his brother. Micah 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. When David was caught having an affair, here's what he wrote. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. James said this. Those who, this is so hard to read because I think that we're all guilty of this. Those who consider themselves righteous and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If you haven't gotten it yet, God's idea, God's vision, God's, God's goal for the kingdom of God is for it to be a haven, a place of rest, a place of mercy and compassion, a place of forgiveness and grace. And his kingdom is not filled with rituals. It's not filled with doers who say, I have to do this because God needs it. God doesn't need it. We, we are so small compared to what God can do. But we sometimes convince ourselves that if I don't do this, this person is going to lose their faith and, and God's going to hate me forever. No, God's will is so much bigger. He's not interested in doers. He's interested in people who put their relationship with him first. Jesus said this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, or, and I added this, or if you're teaching Sunday school, if you're leading worship, if you're preaching, if you're serving the homeless, if you're going to Wednesday dinner and teaching a class, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift, leave worship, leave your class. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Nowhere is it saying that we shouldn't offer gifts. Nowhere is it saying that we shouldn't serve in our church, serve others, give money. It's not saying that. Instead, it's saying that all of these are things that we do because of where our heart is at. Thinking of, think about it. Tithing. Do we tithe just so we didn't get called out by someone else in church? Do we tithe because we feel guilty if we don't? Or do we give money because we're happy to join in the mission of this church? because we're happy to know that the money is going to be used to help people. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Do we serve at church for status? Because we feel like we have to because the church is going to fall apart if we don't? Or do we serve because there is nothing that makes us more excited than helping people know the Bible? What about prayer? Prayer could be a ritual. If we just pray over our food because we're afraid the Christian next to us will get mad if we don't, 
Prayer is a ritual. But prayer can also be something out of the heart. Prayer can be a lifestyle, something that we do because we know our dependence on God. I'm going there, church. Church attendance. Ooh, no, don't go there. It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one all throughout America because for 20 years, 30 years, we have said the church is not this. The church is us. And so we've convinced ourselves so great that it doesn't matter where we are as long as we feel good about God, we don't need to go to church. And that's true. That's true. If church is a ritual, it's worthless. Church attendance is lame. Attendance, that's, what, that's the piece of paper I got when I was substitute teaching. That's not something that God is so focused with. But I want to challenge you guys right now. I think we come, we come here. We come here on Sunday mornings for two reasons. First of all is to worship God. And the second thing is something that I learned this week. I think we come here to provide the mercy and compassion that God is requiring of the kingdom of God. And who are we bringing it to? We're bringing it to each other. Thank you. I love that. Um, I was having lunch with somebody here today. Um, I was having lunch with him on um, Tuesday. And he said to me, you know, I, I miss church sometimes. And that's okay because I'm very, I'm very solid in my faith. But I have never thought about what it takes away from the church when I'm not there on Sundays. And he said, when I'm not there, I am taking away the encouragement that I could give to somebody else. And guys, I don't know every single one of us yet, but I know a lot of us here, and we are coming here because we need encouragement. We're coming here because we need that mercy and compassion. And that's a reason to come on Sundays. It's not required. It's not one of the deadly sins if you skip church on Sunday. But if your heart is with God, if God is your number one priority, you're coming here for the people sitting around you. That's huge. I'm so glad that that person said that to me this week. Israel believed that doing things for God would save them. And that's a huge temptation. As they focused on the temple, they were thinking, well, maybe we just need to build the temple, and that's okay. And God's saying, no. I want you to give me your heart, administer justice, be people of, passion, of compassion and mercy. And in the same way, as people 2,500 years later, it is so easy to say that we believe. It's easy to believe. It's easy to give. It's easy to serve. It's easy to attend. It's easy to get to know a lot about God with actually getting to know him. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Believing in God and simply doing stuff, that's like building a temple and letting it sit for 16 years. But when you give your heart to God, and what that means is when you make God your number one priority, it changes your life. It goes past Sundays. It goes, it goes into our workplaces. It goes into our school. It goes into our house. It goes into the cafes where we meet people. It goes everywhere. It revolutionizes our life. It brings mercy. It brings justice and compassion. It welcomes in the outsider. I read an interview with a Jewish rabbi, and he said, and I disagree with this, but it's an interesting point. He said, I think the biggest theme in the Old Testament is welcoming the outsider. 
He said that's mentioned over and over again in the Bible, and it's so revolutionary to human nature. We want to build this for ourselves. We want to do this for ourselves. But he said, God is a God for everybody. We are to welcome people in. From the outside looking in, the kingdom of God is a place where people want to be. It's a place where people thirst for justice. It's a place of mercy and compassion. It's a place for everyone, including the outsider. And right now what I want to do is tell you guys about an opportunity that we're going to have to do this. On June 20th, a group of us are going to go to uh, Piedras Negras, Mexico. Jason talked about it a little bit. And we're going to serve and build relationships at a school that was built on top of a dump. My friend Jair, he, he was walking around his town, and he saw that um, there was a dump, and kids were living on top of the dump, and that's where they were finding their food. And he knows, as a member of the kingdom of God, we are to have compassion on those people. And so we built a school. And the school is going great. And there's about 80 kids there who are, living, who are attending school on scholarship, needing people to help them out. And we're going to go there. We're going to teach them some classes. We're going to do some one-on-one stuff with them. We're going to, I'm excited about this, we're going to build a baseball field there because they, they said, we want to learn baseball. And I said, well, how, how many bats do you have? I'm like, we got one. I'm like, okay. How many baseballs do you have? One. How many gloves do you have? One. And I'm like, well, you, you can't play baseball with one glove. So they want to learn baseball, and they want to learn baseball with us. They also are so excited to learn English. They're practicing and they're learning and they want people to teach it to them and they want people to teach, teach the Bible to them. Now, I'm going to say something and I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings and I'm not trying to get political. So just understand everything I'm about to say through the context of the kingdom of God opening up the outsiders. As Americans, Canadians, my wife, we tend to treat Mexico like it doesn't belong with us. And I know that there are some people here who are Mexican. We're all new Mexicans, so that's great. But we trend, the outsider, when I read this, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Mexico because this school has had churches stop going because of violence in other parts of the country, not in that city. P- churches have said, you know, I heard over in this city over here in this state, there was something bad that happened. So we're not going to go over to this side of the country to a place that's really needing people. That's like, I told that to Jason, and Jason said, well, that's like not going to Los Angeles because there was a murder in Detroit. And I said, that's totally right. So the kingdom of God provides compassion, but who is it providing compassion to? It's providing compassion to the outsiders, to people who need it. I've had teens come up and say they want to go to Mexico. I've had couples say they want to go to Mexico, and I've had families say that they're going with us too. This is an all-church trip And I would love for all of you guys to come to the meeting in two weeks after church. It'll last for about 20 minutes. I'm going to talk about the details, how much it's going to cost, when it's going to be, June 20th. And um, we're going to just talk about what's going to go on there. There will be a QA. and a If you want to ask me anything, that's going to be the time. This is just one way that as a church family, we're going to administer justice, that we're going to love mercy and compassion because these people, they need it. That's who God is talking about when he says, welcome the outsider. Because the kingdom of God is a place for us, but it's also a place for everybody. Right now, we're going to have a time of prayer. And I'm really excited with what this has kind of become. Because some people come here to pray with the elders. 
Sometimes I pray with some of the students. But also some of you guys are starting to pray with each other. And like I said before, that's why we come to church on Sundays. We don't come just so we can check off a box. We come because some of us here, we need prayer. Some of us here, we, we need compassion. Some of us here just need encouragement. And this is the place to find it. So I'm going to close the sermon time in prayer, and then we're going to have some, a song. And if you want to come up and pray with any of the shepherds, you can do that. So let's go, go ahead and stand up right now. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this super clear message of what it looks like to follow you. God, it's not easy, but it's clear. And so I pray in, in all of our hearts right now, you will open up something so you know who you want us to have compassion on where justice is necessary in our lives, who sitting next to us or sitting in front of us or behind us, who needs encouragement right now, God? I thank you for this message, and I thank you that you're here with us, challenging us, talking to us, and whispering. I thank you for bringing us together, God, and I pray this in your name. Amen.